This podcast is sponsored by Element. Element is an electrolyte drink mix perfectly formulated for anyone on a low-carb, keto, or carnivore diet. Each packet contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Element can help prevent and eliminate headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleepiness, and other common symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. When I'm fasting and not getting proper electrolytes, I start getting headaches and wake up with crazy foot cramps. The Element packets can replenish that through these convenient packets that I can take with me anywhere. I like the unflavored packets, which are literally just magnesium, sodium, and potassium. They also come in a variety of flavors like raspberry, orange, chocolate, or habanero lemon. They're sweetened with stevia and contain no artificial ingredients, gluten, or fillers. Right now, Element is offering all of our listeners a free sample pack with any order. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors. You can get yours at drinkelement.com slash C-A-T-G. This deal is only available through this link, so you can check out the description and go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash C-A-T-G. Thank you for supporting companies that support this podcast. Let's get back to the episode. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole nother thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder, the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air and stay happy and healthy and and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. (laughs) Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my co-host and friend, Laura Spath. And Laura, what's been going on with you? Okay, so I just left the hair salon, and I was going to wait and tell you this once we started recording. <laughs> so for those two, for those <laughs> okay. who don't know, when Judy and I um, end up recording, we end up talking for like a half an hour beforehand <laughs> so and a half an hour afterwards just to like talk and catch up. But... Um, Oh, I was so heartbroken. And I don't even know what, what would you do in this situation? I was getting my hair done and the woman next to me was like showing off her wedding pictures or whatever to her hairstylist. And then she was like talking about one of the kids that was in the wedding. And she kept going on and on about this, the family and like, oh, this, and they're raising him vegan. It's so great. And they're like, yeah, it's nice because they're like, he's young enough that they can kind of force it. And, you know, like he doesn't really have a choice. And so then like, you know, the hairstylist was like, that's so interesting. Oh, I'm so happy. This is so great. And like, they're just going on about how healthy this little kid is. And they're like, yeah, you know, when he first started being vegan, he had all these food aversions and he would like throw up all the time, but they kind of just stuck to it. And, you know, now he's doing great. And, you know, the hairstylist, thankfully, I mean, she was asking a couple questions. She's like, where does he get his protein? You know, which is what vegans always ask. Um, And then she was like, oh, from beans, you can eat a lot of beans and get all this protein. And she's like, you know, and they have protein eggs, like plant-based eggs and plant-based meats, which is soy, 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 soy. Right. Anyway, it just, it completely breaks my heart. And my hairstylist knows my situation. (laughs) So she just kept like, because it's somebody like in the, in the other direction, you know, 
And so she kept like just looking down at me and laughing. And I was just like, I mean, like I, I obviously didn't say anything. I would never say anything, but like it just completely breaks my heart in that situation. And adults, I feel like can do what they want, but kids in that situation, it just like shatters me. Yeah. I mean, in our old school, we went to last year, there were several vegans and they were sharing how they became vegan because of um, health issues. And so now they're having their children and their children don't look the healthiest. And so I shared that I'm a nutritionist. They had no idea I was meat-based, but I mean, it's just not our place to say something. And now they were asking, I mean, you know, when I went vegan, my health is a little bit better, but I'm not all better. And so I said, well, how are you getting your protein? What types of vegan foods are you eating? And I mean, they literally eat anything that's not animal-based, which doesn't make sense. So he drinks lots of Dr. Peppers, I think he said. And but again, I can't be saying, you know, what you're eating is wrong. Right. And it's just not the, it was like a children's birthday party. And I just couldn't, I didn't have the heart to say it. And if they ever turned to me and asked me, I would say something, but I just don't think it's my place to be saying, Hey, you right. know what you're doing is wrong. And this is actually better. I mean, no one wants to be told something. Right. And they're not going to receive it well. Nobody in that situation right. would receive it well, which is why I have gotten people saying like, you should say something. And I would never say that right. mainly because it's really just, there's, there's no way that they would receive that information in uh, a, an open way because guess what? I wouldn't, right. Nobody right. would. If somebody just walked up to you and said something that like in that way, uh, or tried to give you information on your health, like that's, it kind of circles back to this conversation we've had before of like people have to be ready to hear something like they have to go looking for that information themselves. You can't just like convince everybody to change without them being ready. Right. Two of my closest best friends, both of their families, they have the BRCA gene. One of their parents each have died very early. What does and that mean? So the BRCA gene is the gene that you're susceptible to having ovarian or breast cancer. And so, Oh, so a lot of the women get the double mastectomies like proactively. Yes. Yes. Like, uh, I think mm -hmm. Angelina Jolie did that a long time ago. Yeah. I have a friend who did that. Like she had the gene. And so she just instantly had a double mastectomy. Well, so that particular friend has not managed her diet. Um, but also she's not doing anything about, she's not doing like a mastectomy or anything like that. And and then my other friend, same thing. The last time I saw her, she's not eating any healthier. And she had PCOS, had a hard time getting pregnant. And I told them about keto when I first was like a big fan and a fanatic. And I said, guys, like, this is the answer so that you guys can live long. And ultimately, they said to me, Judy, we know you're extreme. And we just can't do those kind of crazy diets. And that was what they told me like five, six years ago. So yeah. ever since then, um, I just kind of keep them afar because I just don't know how to close my mouth because I care so much about them. And I just pray for them. That's the only thing I could do. But I can't imagine yeah. someone we don't know and even sharing things like that even further. They just, if people aren't ready to listen, they're not going to listen. Yeah. It just, I knew we were going to record today. I was like, oh, I have to go tell Judy. It's so sad. <laughs> it well, like, hopefully... I mean, I think with kids, especially, you know, and you talk about this a lot of like, they're developing so much and it's so important for brain health and growth and like just overall development that kids are getting adequate protein and animal protein and yes. animal fats, you know? And so it's just, 
makes me sad for the future that that he's not getting to decide what his health is going to be like as he grows up because he's being pushed it's being pushed on him and honestly i feel the exact same way about kids who are drinking juice full time and eating candy and a bunch of junk food every day and also don't get other types of animal protein so it's not a judgment on like vegans only but it's on you know just feeding kids like nothing but sugar and right. um you know living on macaroni and cheese in the same way too so I think there's a lot of things that the kids don't have choices with, even with some of the the vaccines that have gone around a little bit. I mean, I've been very <laughs> vocal about it with the kids. I don't think their chance of dying was high. And I think most kids should not have received the vaccine. And I mean, I could get hated for that, but that's just my stance. I think the adults, there are situations where maybe someone needed it. I think with the kids, most kids did not need it. And I don't yeah. think it's fair. And again, my best friend put in a Instagram post and said, we believe in the science and insert children with vaccines and band-aids cover them. And it's just, well, I believe in my science that I did all the research. And, and so what I try to do, sorry, I just went on a total tangent, but what I try to do with, no, it's true. What I try to do with parents is I know that they, as long as I know that they're eating meat, um, I will just facilitate that conversation a little bit more of how important it is to include meat all the time. And so that's how I do it with some closer friends. I'll say, yeah, we feed meat all the time to our children. And then I'll explain why. Yep. And so that's the hope and, um, and just the content I share that I hope that they will then feed their children more meat and not feel as it's as bad of a food as um, it's as it's portrayed to be. Yeah, I rarely block anybody on social media just because it's not worth my sure. time or energy. But some woman messaged me the other day and was like, I can't believe you're screwing up your kids. You're talking about bad foods and good foods and all these crazy things. And I was like, I just didn't even respond and just blocked her. But it's like, I'm not, that's exactly what I'm not doing, right? I'm not trying to demonize everything for them. We're focusing on prioritizing what's healthy and limiting things that are not as healthy for us. And that's the last thing that I want to do is to give them this thing where they grow up and are like obsessed with all these foods they weren't allowed to have. You know, it's, trying to help them realize that they need lots of good protein because that's going to help make them strong. And it's, you know, not about obsessing over the things. It's like just about limiting things that are not, but it's not a, you know, I, I get very, uh, instant reaction. You'll get blocked really quickly. If you accuse me of giving my kids an eating disorder, because it's so intentional just to try to set them up for a, hopefully a healthy future with their bodies and then also their relationship with food in general. Right. I think most, I mean, every parent does the best they can with what they believe is correct or with the yeah. tools that they have. So I'm not knocking any parents. That's why I try to find the real life. And I share things like McDonald's patties and I still get in trouble for it because I'm feeding my kids non-real foods and then blah, blah, blah. But then if I feed, um, I share that they're only eating quality meats, then I'm such a bad mom because I'm not allowing them to have sugar. So I never win on the internet, first of all. And I'm totally okay with that because I truly advocate, true ultimate advocacy is for the children. And that is why I'm yeah. really here. It's not for the parents. I love all the parents, but we all can make our own decisions. It's truly for our next generation that if we die, hopefully our children and our children's children will be healthy enough and that the world will not have gone too plant-based that you can't really turn back and heal people. So yeah, this is for those of you that don't know, Judy and I's five-year plan. We're going to have a commune <laughs> where Chris does all the homeschooling for all the kids and we, and cooks for everybody. And then, you know, we all have like a whole business and we run like a carnival. We all live out in the woods somewhere and raise cows and 
pigs and chickens and we have a little carnivore commune. Yeah. And I'll be teaching nutrition to the kids. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> Judy's going to help run the school <laughs> and you know, all the things it's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it. But today I really wanted to talk about, so we haven't done a Q and a in a very long time. And so I, uh, we just collected a lot of the questions that have come through. Um, and so we just I guess really wanted to touch up. These are the questions that came through from a lot of the reviews. So when you guys leave reviews for us um, and ask questions, we are these this is where these questions came from. And you know what? To be honest, I realized not too long ago that there's other places other than Apple you can leave reviews. And I don't know, I guess, how to check those. So I will be honest and I only pull them or we only pull them from Apple. But I think Spotify and Google maybe. They also let I don't you? see I ha- I use a Google phone and a Google podcast app and I don't even know how to leave a review for okay. somebody. I only know how to, I only ever hear people talking about it from Apple. So I don't know. I thought it was from other but, places. I might be wrong. So then if I am wrong, then great. Then there's no other questions. But just in case people are leaving it somewhere else and we do not see it, it's because we only know how to go on Apple and get it from there. <laughs> and I don't have Apple. So Judy pulls the reviews and then sends them to me. <laughs> the questions. Okay. So let's do the first one. We'll try to do rapid fire if possible, but so pregnancy and carnivore, um, this question was specifically asked to me and maybe this lady is not even pregnant anymore and had her baby by the time that I don't know (laughs) know how old this uh, comment is, but so it says why and what would be an advisable way to add carbs in a carnivore friendly way? Would raw whole milk be suitable? Does this hold true for all women, even type two diabetics during keto carnivore? So I guess in one podcast episode, I just mentioned that it it may be difficult to be carnivore or 100% meat only throughout your whole pregnancy. And I talked a little bit about insulin resistance. When our bodies are trying to grow a baby, we the body is trying to become insulin resistant, the desires to have more insulin, because literally, you're trying to grow a baby. So I believe that, well, our ancestors generations ago or hundreds of years ago, they still must have only eat mostly meat. And so it's probably possible. And then there were stories of people saying they did that. But all the modern, I say modern day, but of, of the last several years, all the pregnant women I knew in carnivore and of my clientele, there was no one I knew that ate zero carb carnivore or meat only carnivore. And so that's when I started. The meat aversions are just too strong, yes, right? Like that's, that's, exactly that's what I hear from people who are carnivore, non-carnivore. They just get meat aversions early on in pregnancy. Right. And I think it's because in, especially in the first trimester, so much of the baby is created. The body is really looking for foods that will trigger an insulin response. And this, these are all anecdotal, but from my clients and uh, a few friends and just a few other people, they will say that the first trimester, it is nearly impossible to eat zero carbs. And so most of them will end up adding fruits or other things. And then they get hard on themselves for how come I couldn't do it when there's so many other stories. And the only reason I shared online is, I mean, I would ideally say the ideal way to eat is mostly meat based, fuel the baby with the best foods ever. But it almost sounds like it's not truly possible. I know one person that drank like two gallons of raw milk in order to get that amount of sugar. But if you don't want to drink that way, and you want to add a few berries, and if you want to add some carbs that you're honestly craving that are the healthiest you can find, I would try to opt for that because you don't want to make the pregnancy miserable. You don't want to be mentally in a stress state of I hate what I eat. I'm having meat aversion because imagine that stress on your body that also is being fed to your baby. So I'd rather you eat a little bit of carbs 
If you are type 2 diabetic or type 1 diabetic, have a CGM, measure your blood glucose and try to find ways that you can fuel your body at adding a bit of carbs, but keeping it within reason. And that would be my ultimate thing because our bodies are already stressed going through pregnancy. You don't want it to be where you're white knuckling trying to eat meat only because that's the best thing for your baby. But we don't even think about, well, what about that stress, that adrenal, the cortisol that's flowing through your system and that will affect your baby. So eat however you can try to eat meat based. If you can't, it seems pretty normal. And I mean, I didn't, I wasn't carnivore when I uh, was pregnant. So I don't have that data for you, even from my own experience, it might be different. And, um, and then I hear like by second trimester, people can get a lot more meat based. So just find what works for you. That's ultimately what I was saying. But it sounds like from a lot more women that have tried to be uh, pregnant and carnivore, that it is a lot harder to do than what it's been sounding like. Well, it makes sense. And, and go listen to that podcast if that is you in that situation. But it makes sense that your body is needing to rapidly gain weight right. to grow that baby. And so in, in a sense, it does need to be you know almost insulin resistant for a short period of time, which is why I think a lot of women do develop gestational diabetes because maybe that's going a little bit too far, or it's a sign that your body was already insulin resistant to begin with, and then you've pushed it even farther um, and then a lot of people who have gestational diabetes, if they don't correct it, will end up with full-blown diabetes years down the road because it just it's a sign that you're already on the road for that. And that's the thing that definitely was true for me. Um, doesn't mean you need to be eating Ben and Jerry's every day when right. you're pregnant like I did. But, you know, I think don't like you said, don't put so much pressure on yourself that you can't be having like fruit or even some vegetables. And maybe there are other carbs that you're wanting. Um that would be healthier for you. And it's probably a, it's probably a response, like whether or not you're carnivore or not, I, I hear so much of that. And I've shared that with some pregnant women, like this is your body's desire to try to gain weight quickly, which is why it's having those meat aversions. And And it makes a lot of sense. It's some real talk, but I, I do have a friend that's pregnant and carnivore and struggled a lot. And I do believe that she will be sharing. And I think she's doing a lot of the research behind it. And so, yeah, when that releases, I will share with this community so that then you can listen to that. And then you'll probably get all the science of why it may be nearly impossible to be meat only carnivore, or zero carb carnivore through pregnancies. But it is one of those things that's never actually going to be truly tested. You can't do a lot of testing like that on pregnant women. It's just not going to happen. So it's just there's really never going to be any better research other than something that's anecdotal. Right, right. And don't feel bad about it is the biggest thing. Yes, the biggest thing is obviously feel your body as best as you can. And just the big thing to me is just reduce your stress. I mean, there's a lot of studies that come out that show when the mom is stressed, it puts stress on the fetus. So that would be my bigger thing is if you hate meat, don't force it down for weeks and weeks. It's just you're making yourself miserable and indirectly um, adversely and impacting the fetus. Cool. The next question is about thyroid hypothyroid and adrenal healing cortisol with a keto diet. So this person said, I'm so tired of people telling me you need carbs for thyroid and thyroid and hormones. Please, Judy, we need more episodes about this myth. I feel horrible when I eat carbs. I will not eat carbs just because someone tells me I need them. Yeah. I mean, we've done several, I feel like we've done several podcast episodes, right? Where we talked about hormones, the recent one, and maybe this one came before that episode, but I mean, ultimately the whole endocrine system 
includes all your hormones. And the biggest hormone that your body will prioritize is cortisol. And when your blood sugar is imbalanced, it will produce more cortisol, and then it will ignore the rest of the reproductive hormones, the thyroid hormone. So knowing that if you eat sufficient proteins and fats, you should be able to support all of your hormones, and then your cortisol will not get as imbalanced because assuming you reduce your stressors, but you're not on that blood sugar insulin roller coaster that then impacts your cortisol. So that's where cortisol comes to save the day. And when you do that for long periods of time, that's what causes menopause or perimenopause you to start sweating and having hot flashes. Because think about when we're about to go um, make a speech, we're all sweaty, and we're starting to have a um, it's like our adrenaline is kicking in our cortisol is rushing out because our body thinks we're under stress. And we are because it's perceived stress of Oh, my gosh, am I going to do bad on this speech? Um, and the same thing happens when you're going through perimenopause. So your ovaries stop making hormones and gives it to your adrenals. And so if your adrenals have been trying to balance blood sugar this whole time, well, now when it's trying to take over adding on to make more hormones, it's going to have moments where it doesn't know how to do everything right. And so that's why in the middle of the night, you may have hot flashes or in the random middle of the day, you may have hot flashes because your body is trying to readjust to now having your adrenals make cortisol. Ultimately, if you eat the right food, so a lots of meats and fats, if you want to add some plants that you can safely handle and tolerate, then I don't think it's a big issue. But we do not need carbs for hormonal health. Um, I think most of my clients that is a non issue. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, the, the cortisol with keto, right, like some of that is a good thing. But if you yes. can't compound it, I think when we see the hormone issues, with somebody who's carnivore or keto, if you look at the big picture, they're likely over exercising, they're over fasting, they're under eating. There's just a lot of compounding factors. And, and it's saying like, oh, my hormones are terrible. And I'm on keto. Well, like let or carnivore, let's look at the big picture of that. Are there other stressors that are involved? Is your sleep terrible? Um, and are you adding a bunch of other stress as well? And so I think you, I have shared a lot that like I lost my cycle doing carnivore, but it's because I had too many compounding factors. I lost so much weight so fast. And at the time I was over exercising, I was under eating and I was over fasting. And now I'm still car. Now the, the question for everybody told me I had to add back carbs in to be able to fix my hormones. And I was able to slow down on the exercise to make sure I was eating enough. So I had to add an extra meal in per day I had to slow down on the fasting and now I've been able to stay carnivore and still do some fasting, right? Not as much, but still do occasional 48 hour fasts. And I was able to really very quickly heal my hormones, get my cycle back and have everything be very normal for the last several years. But it's just, it's about compounding all of these different right. things. Now, would it have come back if I added carbs back in? Probably as well. Yeah. But I didn't have to do that. You don't need to do that. It could be something that you could do. But for me, there was a lot of other factors that were involved as well. The part of me, and this is just the real talk, um, what I struggle with so much is most people struggle with hormonal issues. PCOS is not a carnivore issue. It, um, right. And having amenorrhea is not a carnivore issue. It is a epidemic. And even thyroid issues, hypothyroid, I mean, levothyroxine or T3 medication is the number two selling drug of all of I think just the US. That is not a carnivore issue. And so when people say carnivore ruined my hormones, it's just did you forget 
how you felt or what happened prior. Now I get people may start losing their hair. Maybe their energy is lower and maybe they under ate. So maybe the stress was too much fasting, which can be a stressor, uh, a cortisol release too much under eating, which can then lower your metabolism. That has nothing to do with um, carnivore or keto. It's just that you're under eating. And I, I just think if people were to take a pause and say, Hmm, is carnivore are all hypothyroid are all Hashimoto people are all um, amenorrheic PCOS people just carnivore or just low carb. And and if we know that more people heal from those things on these diets rather than get worse, then we yeah. probably just from a logical perspective is ooh, it's probably not the diet, because most of America is struggling with that. So many people on a paleo diet, which has, it's basically carnivore with a little bit more fruit. And I know some nuts, but clean, clean carbs, you know, sweet potatoes and stuff. So many of them switch from paleo because it did not move the needle for their hormones and their thyroid function, you know, and that's where it's just, let's all use some common sense. And where is the logic (laughs) that low carb? I mean, it drives me crazy sometimes, honestly. Yeah. And I get it. When, when I was looking into uh, research for repeat, so let me clarify, because we throw that out sometimes (laughs) and people are like confused. Ray Pete is a type of diet that includes drinking like a lot of orange juice, raw carrot salads, some meats, but a lot of liver. So it's like a, it's a type of diet that is a, has a big cult following, you know, of people who believe it like fixes everything, but they're drinking tons of orange juice. And a lot of people who start with carnivore and end up having issues on carnivore, i.e. they're eating a lot of liver and a lot of organ meat and and also they're having hormone issues and stuff they end up uh jumping ship to things like this ray peat diet and adding a bunch of tons of fruit in so look at all these carnivores right who all of a sudden used to be carnivores and now they're eating tons of fruit this is a lot of this mindset that comes from that ray peat diet that talks about needing all of this fruit for your hormones. Yeah. And I think that's probably where this question came from as well. Right. And Ray Pete was, or is this person that did a lot of research. I think he's very old and I don't, you know, I didn't go through the the rabbit hole of all his research. I mean, I'm not trying to be swayed by him fully or anything like that, but one of his arguments is the reason why people get obese and sick and metabolically broken is because of the PUFAs. And that's where it all stems from. So I would argue that, um, Paul Saladino and Carnivore Aurelius are repeat. I mean, Carnivore Aurelius basically supports that 100%, but Paul's not as open about it. But I even asked him in person. He's he, just trying to maintain yeah. his brand at this point. Yeah, I like, mean, he doesn't know. drink orange juice, but he eats a lot of fruit. So same thing. Ultimately, their argument is it's not the sugar. It's never been the sugar. It's the PUFAs. And if PUFAs is, listen, we're going to act like it's me here. PUFAs, which I didn't know until we talked about this, polyunsaturated fats something. So it's in seed oils, which is the biggest problem. But then also the claim is that it's in conventionally raised chicken and pork and even some uh, conventionally raised beefs, which is why they're so specific about only pasture raised pork and only blah, 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 something chicken. And it's just, you have to eat like this top, 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 top specific organic non blah, blah, blah meat. So polyunsaturated fatty acids are also fish. So omega threes are all polyunsaturated fatty acids. So now they say the omega sixes are the worst, which are really high in seed oils. um, And it's the linoleic acid, but, but they're also pretty against the fatty fish. Now, some of them say it's just because of the the toxins in the waters, but it's also because of the omega threes that they're against it. And 
it's just ironic to me because if you again, if we're being very logical, what is grass fed, grass finished beef uh, touted for when it comes to omega threes? That there is more in it, right? So, but if <laughs> omega threes are polyunsaturated fatty acids, and so. Again, if you use your logic, I'm sorry, like it's just if we No, I need to get you fired up before we start recording more often because (laughs) I like this Judy. (laughs) Fired up Judy is my favorite Judy. So then, but then if you look at the Ray Pete advocates, and I mean, again, no judgment, but I guess I am judging, but it's just, they say it is the PUFAs that are making you obese and XYZ. And a lot of the people that have become uh, Ray Peters, as we say, or the people that eat a bunch of organ meats and uh, lean meats now, and uh, maybe some dairy and some fats, but generally uh, lots of fruits and uh, lots of sugar, because again, they don't believe that sugar is an issue. And a lot of them gain weight. So if it's not the PUFAs, why are you gaining weight? And if you look at a lot of the main people in the Ray Peter advocacy, they're overweight. And again, it's not a judgment. It's just after they became Ray Pete, is when they gain the weight. And the logic to me is as a just a commoner that doesn't know much about Ray Pete, it's like, but you said PUFAs make you gain weight and you've reduced all PUFAs, including fatty fish. Maybe, maybe it's the PUFAs in the omega, uh, the omega threes in the grass finished meats. Or just sugar, you know, I'm pretty sure I didn't get fat from eating regular (laughs) grocery store pork. I'm pretty sure it was from Ben and Jerry's, but you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, the next three questions are about ketones, okay. and I want to go through this. Also, side note, we are clearly not good at rapid fire, but we're going to try <laughs> no, to get sorry. through these questions. Um, the next three questions are all about ketones. And before we start, let me say that I am so frustrated is maybe not the right word, but like, just like, uh, like I just keep going like, uh, about the fact that like ketones is such a hot topic in carnivore right now. For how many years did we not have to worry about this? That was kind of the whole awesome thing about carnivore is like, you don't have to track your ketones. You don't have to pee on a strip. You don't have to track your blood meter. I lost all of my weight without tracking my ketones at all. Like not one time. It wasn't until like everybody else started tracking their ketones a couple, like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago that I was like, oh, I should buy a blood meter. And now I track it and it's interesting and I find it informative. And sometimes it's motivating for me. I've talked about that before. But it somehow has turned into this like big competition of like higher ketones is better and lower blood glucose is better. And I have to have these specific ratios to heat, to lose weight. And I have to have these specific numbers. We did an entire episode on it and you can kind of hear that if you wanted to go more in depth. But as we answer these next couple of questions, I just want to say that like it is, I think it is too much of a focus right now of like, what is your ketones and, um, I used to share my ketones and blood glucose sometimes just to bring a different perspective. And maybe I will again, because I just checked it the other day. Right. And it's not the numbers that are being touted of like this perfect ratio that is everybody is saying that you need to lose weight. You know, my glucose is in like the high eighties, low nineties, and my ketones are 0.5, maybe, maybe 0.7. Right. And so, um, I, and I'm still losing weight. I'm being extra strict right now, actually, because of my surgery and my, I've lost like five pounds in the last couple of weeks. And I'm trying to like, just be very specific and diligent to like lose as much inflammation and make sure I've, I'm at the, an ideal weight for me before I go into surgery. So I am losing weight currently and my ketones are like 0. 0.7, 0. 0.5. Right. And so this idea that you have to have these crazy high ratios is just like, I just want to hug people and say, stop, like, yeah. just stop. 
Stop worrying about well, it. Anyway, well, go ahead. well, I can share. Let me share one anecdotal story of a client that I just saw. So he is 5'7", and he was having a lot of epileptic seizures when he was ketogenic. So then they decided, maybe if I go carnivore, um, it will even improve more because that's what they read. As he's gone carnivore and he's been carnivore for about a year, his epileptic seizures, unfortunately, have gotten worse. And because his so, ketones aren't as high, right? Yes, yes. So so thanks for like ruining the story. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but, I was trying to dumb it down and you were getting there. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. But I'm just kidding. But now they want to... So they're working with me because they have two main complaints. One, why is their seizures going up when this should be a stricter diet than the ketogenic diet? And then two he is losing too much weight. He is, and I'll say that again, he is losing too much weight on carnivore compared to keto. And so we did a lot of the macros and he is about five, seven, and he already lost like 10 pounds and he's already really thin. And he eats like almost 3000 calories and his protein count for his height, I would generally put him at no more than 150 grams of protein a day. And then at probably, you know, and then obviously higher fat because of the ketogenic state for his epilepsy. He was eating close to 200 grams of protein. And I was like, Mm. that is probably where you need to start. And because he's most likely not often in a ketogenic state, which is then causing him to be epileptic or have the seizures. But when it comes to weight loss, it had a worsening effect on him where he actually lost weight. So it just shows you that it doesn't being in a ketogenic state does not equal weight loss, right? Having ketones and more higher ones will show healing in certain things. So if you have seizures, absolutely, you need to be in a ketogenic state. And that's probably where your ketones are at 1.0. And that is why the PKD, um, that group in Hungary, where they do therapeutic keto carnivore, for cancer patients, they put the protein really, really low, and they're in a very high a ketogenic state. It is not for for lifestyle purposes. It is for to make sure this person doesn't die. Like ultimately. Right. So for those things, yes. If you have a serious illness, I would absolutely put any of my family members on a strict, strict ketogenic therapeutic diet because, ketogenic diet where yes. you have like very high ketones. You're you know you focus on getting your glucose as low as possible and those ketones as high as possible. That's for therapeutic healing. Because you want them not to die and you want them to live an extra few years. That's truly the point of that. When you are eating enough meat, and I just have seen when we look at all the numbers, let me tell you that most people do not have 1.0. And it is the people that we need to get in a therapeutic state that will force it by lowering the protein and adding the fat. But most people are not there. And it's because when you eat sufficient meat, there is an insulinogenic effect from your protein. When you eat a carnivore diet, you're eating more protein than what is acceptable on a ketogenic diet. So if you have like three point, I don't, I don't even know what the numbers are shared, but if it's 2.0 or 3.0 in the morning, I would absolutely say with certainty from my little anecdotal group of people, clientele, that that person or those people that are showing those numbers, had they not fasted for over 36 hours they're probably under eating because I have zero clients that hit 2.0 by eating the amount of 0.8 grams of protein per one pound of ideal body weight. Or you're just eating so much fat that that's what's reading because the ketones are just measuring the fat in your, in your blood. And so but they have to lower the protein because the big protein becomes insulogenic. So even if they're eating 80% fat, if they're eating sufficient, so that's why for that young child, 
I told them they have to lower the protein, but it's still enough to be carnivore. I'm okay with him just being at 1.0 for now on a carnivore diet because it is very difficult to have high numbers of ketones right. on a carnivore diet unless you are extended fasting or you are under eating. And that's and I will say for the years that I have been checking my ketones now, right? I again, I lost most of all of my weight without ch- tracking. But the last two years that I have been tracking, unless I have fasted for more than like 36 hours, my ketones do not go above 1.0 at all. And that's because I'm not doing super high fat and I'm not doing super low protein. My hair started falling out when I was doing low protein. So I make sure I eat a lot of protein. Um, And so I am typically, like I said, point whatever, uh, five. So let me read these questions really quick. There's two different examples. So one person said, I've been carnivore for two years. My ketones stay around 0.3 to 0.4. My glucose is 72 to 85. I exercise intensely. I have a lot of muscle mass. I'm 5'2", female, 5... Oh, I'm 52, (laughs) female, 5'7", 148 pounds and 18% body fat. Why are my ketones so low? If I eat no carbs, I'm usually 60 to 65% fat. 35% protein. My body just utilizes all those ketones. So like, yes, but also why do you care that your ketones are not higher? Right? Like that's my question is everything sounds amazing. I think she's, you know, like 52, she's five, seven. She's in a, she's a muscle mass. She's got great, like your muscles still are going to use that, um, glucose. Right. And, and you're in a fantastic, I mean, everything to me looks fantastic. Like why do you need your ketones to be higher? Would be my question. Right. If you don't have a therapeutic reason and generally you feel good in your body, then why does it matter? And the reason why even without eating carbs is because protein is insulogenic. And if right. and also she is not eating high fat being 60 to 65%, I would at least be at 70. Right. And so when you don't have enough of the fatty acids or ketones coming in for energy, then your body's going to use more of the protein and then it'll make your blood sugar go up. And then when your blood sugar goes up, your ketones will drop. Well, the man, the more muscle you have, the more right. exercise you do. She exercises a lot and has a lot of muscle mass. So that's going to spike your glucose and bring your ketones down. Yes. And it's just, there's, to me, there's zero reason in the explanation that she gave why she would need higher ketones. But the answer to fix it, if she wanted to hack it, she could eat way more fat and eat way less protein and uh, stop exercising so much. And all of those things sound terrible for her health in general. And so I would not recommend it. Yeah. And her glucose is 72 to 85. I mean, that's, that's low for a carnivore. For yeah. Agreed. Yeah. 72. That's is way low lower than mine. Yeah. I'm telling you it's the under eating. That is the, the issue in our community. And it's also the misconception that lower glucose is better. And let me read this next one. Cause this one is frustrating too. So this said my, this is about ketones and males. So my question is to something Laura said about Chris needing to start fasting to get his body to release the last bit of glucose out of his liver. So I think in reference to that is like Chris was type two diabetic. And I said, his glucose would not come down until he was doing 36 hour plus fasts because your body stores a lot of that sugar in your liver. And he had to like burn that out. Right. So they said, I'm pre-diabetic and in my forties, six, four and 375 pounds. So pre-diabetic overweight And I'm on day 11 and using a keto mojo, my glucose is around 80 to 100 and I can't seem to get over 0.4 on ketones. So first of all, I don't think 80 to 100 is high glucose. And the fact that you are pre-diabetic, he said, I can't get, well, he said, I can't get my ketones over, but he said, I need, he said about fasting to release the last, 
Yeah. Like fasting to release the last bit of glucose out of my liver. So several things about this. Like, first of all, you are doing amazing. Hopefully yes. you asked this question a while ago and you're like four <laughs> months in by now. Cause we don't know when you asked it. So like, first of all, you're doing amazing. And I hope that you have not been stressing about your ketones through all of this, because number one, your body is burning out a lot of that sugar that's stored, which is why your ketones are lower. Right. Right. You also 80 to hundred is fantastic. What I'm talking about with Chris is he was severely diabetic and he had to do fasting to get his blood glucose under 150 to get it under 140, right? He was waking up in the mornings and even not eating carbs. His glucose was like 125, 130, 140. That is too high, right? If your glucose is between 80 and hundred, like so is mine. And I don't need to lose any, you know, like I'm no longer pre-diabetic. And so right. Based on everything you said, I think I think it sounds like you're doing fantastic. And if you wanted to incorporate some fasting for weight loss purposes, it sounds like you could do that. And then that would boost your ketones. But I I guess until you're stalled, like I wouldn't even suggest that, like keep doing what you're doing while it's working. And I would say too, just like, this is where I think you people just obsess too much about the ketone numbers. Yeah, that makes me sad. Yeah, but well, so he said he was pre-diabetic, which technically is that means your blood sugar is above 100, maybe between 100 and 120. I don't know if that range has gone up a little bit, but if his glucose is 80 to 100 now, he's obviously doing whatever he's doing correctly because it's gone down because 80 right. is not pre-diabetic. So one, I think that's good. The fact that he's only on day 11, there's so much that changes once you become fat adapted. So I think even 0.4 is pretty good. For 11 days in? Yeah, 11 days in. Now this is probably four months old. I'm assuming he messaged this when we had Chris on. And I think that was maybe it wasn't four months ago. But I hope he just continued because it sounds like he was on the right track. And I know this is where it gets so hard where there's so many messages or so many fads and trends in our community. But it's I have never heard of this. The next one about ketones was leaking ketones into my urine is a sign of malnutrition. What can I say the next time if this is brought up? Oh, my guess is there somebody saying that to them. Yes, yes. So this person was, I think it was a nurse or someone that was saying it to this person. And so they're just asking for what do I say back to that? And normally, I would say that um, within my clientele, the people that show ketones in their urine are the people that are just starting on carnivore within the first six months. And then usually you don't even show ketones in your blood because you become fat adapted. The urine part of the ketones is the first excretion and then it goes from your blood and then it's through your breath. So those are the three different ketones, but generally the urine one normally, once your body becomes fat adapted, you show less than that. So it's probably incorrect that that person believes that it's malnutrition. Now, if you are not, if you're not eating a ketogenic diet, and you're eating a lot of sugar, and you're showing that that maybe they're mixing it up with ketoacidosis. Um, right. I, I don't, I don't know why they would think that's malnutrition. So that part is a little um, I would just say, uh, worry about yourself. What can I say next time this is brought <laughs> up? Be like, I, I then don't do it. I don't know. Worry about you. Right. Like, don't so, worry about me. <laughs> That's not helpful well, though. I mean, well, next time if they're constantly keto or in a carnivore diet, um, they should have most of my clients that do urinalysis, there's no ketones in their urine. It's the people that are very new that I still I see the plus one or plus two. So yeah. if anything, you could even say, Oh, is it? Well, let me check in a few months and then you shouldn't have any. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, too, the most people, that's why those, the pee strips for ketones are really not effective over time. Cause it's yes, really like excess. Exactly and it. so that they're, they're really, you'll get that deep purple in the beginning. And then after a few weeks of doing keto, maybe a month or so, then it doesn't really res- uh, show as much anymore. And people think that it's not working for them, but it's really just that you're not excreting all those um, ketones, which is why the blood is more accurate, but also like who cares? Right. Yeah. The next one is um for Laura, how do you cook a round steak? I don't even know what that is. Um <laughs> so bad. It's probably so I'll tell you, right? I know where this is coming from. So the first answer to that is you don't. Like I wouldn't eat one if I could help it. Number oh, one. Okay. But I'll tell you where people get round steaks. Most people don't go to the grocery store and buy a round steak. You get a lot of round steak if you buy a half a cow or you buy a oh. quarter of a cow. And to be honest, this is why we don't buy quarters and halves of or whole cows is because you end up with a lot of cuts that nobody wants to eat. I go, I have a lot of access to grocery stores and I can buy meat that's on sale and I can buy a lot of New York strips and a lot of ribeyes and fillets and picanha and stuff on sale, skirt steak, flank steak. Like I can buy only the cuts that I want cheaper than buying a half of a cow, but that's not helpful to answer the question. (laughs) Wait, so really quick, if I go to the grocery store, I can't buy a round steak. You can. They're just not as, they're not as common. Oh, okay. And it is very common if you buy a half of a whole cow or a whole cow or whatever, you get a lot of them. Okay. My mom has a bunch in her freezer because. Oh, I see. Okay. I must have had it then. (laughs) Huh? I must have had it from our cows, but. I mean, you could buy like top, like maybe it's called like top round or something at the grocery store, but it's definitely not as common. Okay. So how do you cook that? <laughs> I mean, you. I, I would just sear it and eat it medium rare and cook it like a steak, but it's just going to be really tough. Um, and there's kind of no way around that. You also could braise it. I think you know my mom does them a lot in the crock pot, or you could do them in the instant pot and then make shredded beef out of it. But I don't eat a lot of shredded beef now that I can't have ciabatta bread. So <laughs> and make like a beef sandwich. I'm not a. I think what I probably would do if I if I had them is I would. I would just eat it like a steak and deal with the fact that it's tough. And if you can't do that, like a really tough piece of meat, um, if you can't do that, I would braise it or crock pot it. And then you could like crisp it up in a skillet with some eggs. I would add some bacon fat to it probably to make it, give it some extra flavor um, and then mix it up with some eggs or something to try to make it crispy. But I'm just not a big fan of like, I used to eat a lot of crock pot meat when I was growing up, but that's because you'd eat it with like mashed potatoes and stuff. But now that like, I don't, it's not as appetizing for me to sit there and eat a big bowl of crockpot meat, you know, that texture after, if that's the only thing that you're getting. So I like to make it crispy in the air fryer or in a skillet with some eggs and stuff. But that's typically where my guess is people who have a lot of round steak in their freezer, it's because they were buying a, a cow. Um, when my cow was sent to the butcher, any steak, I was not familiar with the name I, or meat cut. I would just say, uh, is it, can I just cook it with an air fryer or pan and can I eat it? And if they would say, oh, it's pretty tough. I'd say, yeah, can you make it into ground beef for me? So that's what I did with, so we have a lot of ground beef for that reason. If you don't want to eat your, that meat cut in a, by slow cooking, or if you have a sensitivity to histamines, I would ask, or if there's a way that you could make it ground beef, if that's even an option. If you are ordering a cow ahead of time and that is a, and that's works, makes sense for your lifestyle. I would just, there's several cuts like that. Um, and a lot of the roasts, like I like a good, you know, 
chuck roast, um, but other all the other kinds of roast, the top sir, the top round and bottom round, and I would just grind all that up because it's really there's no other way to cook it. I make jerky out of it sometimes. I slice mm-hmm. it really thin and make jerky out of it. But other than that, there's really not a way. I don't want to have everything braised and shredded, and so I would just grind it up personally. Okay. Let me ask the next question. It's sleeping and fasting. So one obstacle I've experienced is trouble sleeping when fasting. Have either of you experienced this? Um, So if you've had trouble sleeping when you're fasting, and then if so, have you found a solution? Thoughts on GABA and 5-HTP? Some people seem to use that when they sleep. I wonder if any of you have tried these and if there's a reason not to, especially while fasting. And then Finally, does sleep improve as one becomes accustomed to fasting? I can't recall from prior experiences. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure you'll explain what those supplements are. I don't know what that <laughs> means. <laughs> Let's be, you're trying to ask me to explain that? No. I mean, I do still do some fasting and I do a 48-hour fast and I sleep fine. I try to actually, like I know my body is under additional stress when I'm fasting and I do everything I can to minimize that stress. So I try to go to bed earlier. I take like a nice long shower. I'm not very diligent in my like nighttime sleep routine, but when I am fasting, I try to do that a little better. Um, I try to just make sure I'm not having any caffeine in the evenings. I usually actually do the sauna, which is kind of a stressor, but to me it like relaxes me. So, um, but then if I'm going longer than 48 hours, which is very rare, you know, it's that like once or twice a year long fast that we've talked about before, then I think I just get wired. Like I just have a hard time falling asleep. And I just, I think for me, it's the key. It's because my ketones are so high that I have a lot of energy and my mind starts racing. I have a hard time like shutting that down to go to sleep at night. So, um, I have heard other people talk about not getting as good of sleep when they're fasting. I don't necessarily think you get accustomed to it. Um, but I think that you just know, learn how to work around it, I guess. Or just for me, like I don't fast longer than 48 hours typically for multiple reasons, but one of them is just because it does mess with my sleep and I don't really need to have any need to go longer than 48 hours. Yeah. I think for me, um, I've always been a good sleeper. So Ugh. even, I know. Sorry. Um, I'm so jealous. <laughs> but, I mean, but before carnivore, I woke up many times a night to go pee. So that I don't do at all anymore. But um, so that is the benefit. But I've always been a good sleeper. When it comes to fasting. So this last time I fasted, there was one night, I think I had too much. And it's especially if you don't fast enough, or you don't fast often. So you're that fasting muscle isn't really there. So between day two and three, you do release more cortisol because your body's basically like go search for food. And so you will have more energy. And that's why a lot of people will say after my third day of fasting, I have a ton of energy and they feel better. And then that energy kick might be for you to go search for food, but people are using it for just the day to day. And so then by night, they're tired and they'll have and people say that they start sleeping well after day four and day five. I am tired throughout the whole thing. And so I end up sleeping even more than normal. Um, But I do remember specifically around day two or three, I had poor sleep, but I ended up making up for it during the day. So I think for this person, I'm assuming it's not long term uh, fasting, I think it's within 24 hours, or maybe even 36. But I do believe that if you if it's just the 24 36 hour fasting, that over time, your body can become accustomed to the sleep 
but assuming that you are eating sufficiently, and this again goes back to the eating enough, but that you are eating sufficiently during your refeeds. So Mm. if you're not, it is absolutely going to impact your cortisol and then your sleep. And then in terms of the GABA and 5-HTP, I don't personally like to put people on 5-HTP too long because it's a hormone. And I just think we should try to make our own production. But for a short while, if you're having sleep issues, and if it's a bandaid for a while, I support that because it's that whole balance of if you're stressed, and your cortisol is high, your blood sugar is imbalanced, your cortisol is high. And then if you don't sleep on top of that, your cortisol is high, it's all of that accumulation, that's not ideal for you. Whereas if you get some sleep, at least that will support that cortisol. So I think temporarily, it should be fine. But long term, if you're going to make fasting a part of your regimen, I would make sure to find a way to do it without supplementation. And if you're having sleep issues with like intermittent fasting, you might just need to adjust your meal timing. Like if you're doing one meal a day and it's a really big meal and it's dinner, that might be why you're having sleep issues is because you're you're having like a huge meal, like right before dinner. So you might have, if it's just like an intermittent fasting thing, you just might need to like adjust your meal windows. Um, you know, some people eat a lot and they get really tired and some people eat a lot and they get like this huge energy spike. And so you kind of have to like figure out what, what's going on there. If it's just a short-term stuff. Yeah. And, and if you feel that it's because you're wired and tired, um, it may be just that you have so much cortisol and that's where maybe the GABA and the 5-HTP may help for a little bit. The other option is try to burn more of that energy during the day and see if it will make you then more tired at night. Cause it just might be that you have a little extra cortisol because you're fasting that your body's not used to, and then it just keeps you wired. Yeah. And I think with everything, like you mentioned, this is a temporary supplement, like most supplements, all supplements really should be temporary. And if, if there's something that you are relying on or dependent on to keep you healthy, we need to find out what the root cause behind that is, because we, the goal is you shouldn't need to be taking supplements long-term. Agreed. Um, the next one says teas are making me nauseous. Any idea why I have no idea. Have you ever heard of that before? I felt it one time when I drink tea at Starbucks. So that's such a random thing. But and I looked it up because of that reason. Um, It's not common, I think that uh, you will feel nauseous, but it's actually the anti nutrients. So it's uh, teas are rich in tannins. And when you drink tea on an empty stomach, it can actually release tannins in your gut. And those tannins can make you feel nauseous. So I think tannins are also rich in wines and not like everyone just wakes up in the morning and drinks wine. Well, maybe there's some people but if you ever feel nauseous off wine, it could be that same trigger. So if you feel sensitive, I would also just try to have the tea after your breakfast instead of in the morning, because most people like to drink coffee or tea in the morning. And a lot of people will then switch to tea to get off coffee. But if you feel nauseous, that could be why. And so have it after your meal. And then the other reason could be just the caffeine load. So if there's a lot of caffeine in your body's not used to it, that can actually cause nausea. Is tea the same way with, with, um, as coffee where like decaf coffee still has a little bit of caffeine in it. And so does like, un like decaffeinated teas, does that still have a little bit of caffeine in it? So there's like natural decaffeinated teas, like chamomile tea. I think it just does not have caffeine. And there's also black teas that they make decaffeinated or uncaffeinated. The black teas, I believe they still have a little bit of caffeine, but the chamomile should not have any. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, communion and carnivore. So I feel horrible when I consume non-animal based foods. However, I love Jesus. I love Jesus too. And want to be able to partake in communion at church. This is an extremely important. This is extremely important to my faith. But the last time I partook of tiny preparations, I felt horrible for two days. 
Would it be weird if I made egg bread and bought, brought a small piece of it in a small sample sparkling grape flavored water with me? Please let me know how you navigate this issue. Our church does not do communion. I'm not entirely sure why. If I was still doing communion at the previous church we went to, I would just bring my own stuff. The main reason is it's more of the ritual of doing it rather than that you're not eating that their actual grape juice or their actual bread. And especially if you don't feel good after, it takes away from the ritual because now your remembrance of this really holy activity is now tainted by you not feeling well. And then you be feeling guilt and shame or something for not being able to partake in whatever one else is. If the bridge is for you to just bring your own stuff, just do it. I think that will, no one will notice if you take the bread and then don't consume it and then you bring out your own. Um, I would just do what would allow you to partake and make it your own because it's really your, okay, I know this is getting religious, but it's your relationship with Jesus and God. and, And so do however you need to, because God knows your heart. Ultimately, I think that's the most important thing in my opinion. Yeah. This has actually been a big topic of conversation in our family. Like, um, First of all, I'll say like, I'm not Catholic, but the Catholics believe in transubstantiation, which is where the bread, the elements, the bread and the wine literally become the body and blood of Christ as you partake in them. And that's why they're blessed by a priest. And so, you know, in that is something very specific and you would have a hard time replacing that with your own items because of the belief that Catholics have, right? I'm not Catholic, but, um, the communion thing has been a big discussion. Like I don't, I was, my dad was a pastor growing up. My grandfather's a pastor. My uncles are pastors. Like my mom has a, had a hard time when in the beginning, like I wasn't taking communion every Sunday. And a lot of it is for those same reasons. Like I don't feel good um, drinking, even just that juice in the cracker. Like it just isn't, doesn't make me feel good. So I've, I actually like talked to people at my church about it and have kind of like, it's something that has been a big topic in our family for a long time. I will say I was not raised taking communion every Sunday. Um, So our church currently does communion every Sunday, and that's not something that I was raised with. And so in talking with like my grandfather, uh, who's a pastor, and I really respect and value his, his thoughts. And we've talked about this and he's like, you know, it's an, if it's an every Sunday thing, I don't want it to like to that ritual to not mean something to me, you know, growing up, we took it at like Passover and like, I think like Christmas and like four times a year. Um, So every Sunday when communion happens, like it's on the chair in front of, you know, underneath the chair in front of you. And I just kind of like spend some time in prayer during that time personally. Um, And then I think though, if, if I was in the situation and and the actual act was important to me in that moment, I would take those elements that you have. And I might even just go talk to your pastor and say like, can you pray over this with me? Can you bless these items? And it's not going in the Catholic sense, like physically become those items, but you can still have this like blessed moment and ask a pastor to pray with you and to pray over those elements. Because I do know that, you know, a lot of the churches, I'm sure all the churches, like as they're preparing that communion are praying over those elements. And so that is, if that's, you know, necessary, but I think that more than anything, God knows your heart. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm sitting there in that moment, having a moment of prayer. And I think he understands and knows where my heart is and where my head is and why I'm not physically doing it. You could talk to your pastor and say like, Hey, I have an allergy to this food or I can't, you know, I mean, don't lie. That sounds like I'm telling you to lie to your preacher, <laughs> but you could just say like, I can't eat those items. Can we talk about like an alternative? And I'm more than anything. I, I mean, they're probably happy to do that or well she says she feels horrible or maybe it's a he but this person says they feel horrible 
after they eat it. So it is right. some type. Yeah. Of yeah. I would say that. And just, I mean, I don't think you need to, I don't think it's weird to bring your own items. It's different. Like how, like, is the pastor passing them out? Or like, for me, it would, nobody would notice because it's like on the chair underneath of you. And so nobody really notices what's happening there, but. And I, this isn't part of the question list, but I just wanted to bring this up since I'm asked it quite often, but people ask me in the Bible, they talk about olive oil a lot and manna and these, you know, the, the morning, the manna that was there, and then it would go rotten after one day. So if all of those things and even the fruits and um, all the abundance is allowed in the Bible, then are we sinning or doing wrong things by not eating what's in the Bible? And I've thought about it a lot. And I I think of how when there were celebrations, they would find the fattest calf and they would offer it and it was an offering and that's how they would celebrate and they would feast that way. And yes, they did use olive oil and they did get some types of bread, right? So the five five loaves, two fish, but I just don't know. And this is what I say all the time, but I do plan on asking God, like, what kind of bread was that? You know, what was it made from? (laughs) Like, what was the olive oil? Because that is not defined in the Bible. And maybe historians and theologians can tell me that. And I should maybe look into that a little bit more. But what we are consuming today as people, it's not what it's mostly man-made, right? All our bread is mostly genetically modified. We don't, most people do not know how to make bread. And most people do not know how does an olive create olive oil. And none of or most of us don't know how that happens or where we source our foods. And so to say that we are foregoing certain foods from when corporate and food companies started touching our foods, it's no longer the same foods. And that's how I rationalize it. And I know people can go, well, there's cows are eating grains, which maybe they weren't intended, but the animal itself is still the animal that I think God made. And it's just that fine balance of where's your heart in and all. And I think that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. The next question is the last one, but it's a big one. So I don't know, maybe we talk about it another time too, but it says homeschooling and children, ideas, thoughts, what made you decide on your schools? So Judy has actually on her channel, the nutrition with Judy channel, she interviewed one of the founders of the type of school that she did. It's a really good episode that just talks about their like unschooling method um, and how they do that. It's really great. You should go check that episode out if you want to link it for us, Judy. Um, And then we, our family has, um, been doing micro schools for like a pod school in somebody's house for the last couple of years. And then this year we moved to full-time homeschooling. Yeah, I would, I would say ultimately it's, um, I don't like, I mean, just being really blunt, real talk. I don't like what they're teaching, the narrative, the ideology, the value system, the just raising sheeps. Um, I don't like that in a public school system. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you this. We had some people from church over who were like newly carnivore and they, we had some, this uh, couple over to our house for lunch last Sunday and she homeschooled all her kids who are now like grown and, and out of high school. So she, we were talking about homeschooling and she had asked the kids like, what, you know, do you like homeschooling? And Penelope's like, yeah. And so I think, I don't remember, she asked the kids specifically, like, why do you homeschool? And I was like, ooh, like, I'm curious, like, what's Penelope going to say to this? And Penelope <laughs> looks back and she goes, yeah, we homeschool because mom and dad don't want us turning into little government robots. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, that's not entirely wrong. Right. right. I was, no, no, I mean, I'm curious, like, what their thoughts on it were. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I want my kids, if, if the world were to go in full chaos, 
can my kids survive? And that's truly the ultimate reason. And I want my kids to be able to question and I want my kids to ask why and always down to why, why do I have to do that? Why does that make sense? Why are those rules? The biggest thing is I don't want the indoctrination. Yeah, I don't think the public school system is the same public school system that I went to. And even still with that, it was really eye opening for me to learn that my history book is different than the history book in France. And that to me was, whoa, so all books aren't necessarily true. And there's like yeah. a lot of opinion about it. And so I want my child to focus on what they want to do, be on a hero's journey to figure out what am I truly in love with? And then what can I do and grow and expand my knowledge instead of, hey, because you live in California, we needed to learn about Spanish missionaries for what? Like, I know it's history and stuff, but I'd rather my child learn the history that they choose to out of curiosity. Well, also it's, you know, I'm, I, I definitely agree with everything you said. And that's a lot of our reasons. And the other part of it is just like, first of all, kids don't need to be in school and away oh, from yeah, their families for that long. Like it is just too long. And then they have ac- extracurricular activities and homeschool. And like, when do kids get to be kids? So that's a huge part of it for us. And then also like the public school system is the only time that most people will experience violence in their lifetime. Like mm-hmm. most people are not going to just walk into Starbucks and get punched in the face. But you know, how many times I just would get shoved into a locker when I was in high school and elementary school, like just this acceptance so and, true. you know, accepted violence and the way that, you know, people just people are treated is a huge part of it as well. Like, um, there's not a lot of difference in the way that, you know, schools are run versus the way that, um, prisons are run. And I think that there are, I have nothing bad to say about individual teachers. I think there's amazing teachers who are there for the right reasons, but I think as an administration, as like a, uh, structure, as a, you know, all of those things, I think it's just a really broken system. And I think it's, you know, really unfortunate and I'm happy to be in a place where we don't have to subject our kids to that. Agreed. Our school doesn't have homework every month and a half. They get a week off and we get to spend time with our children and, I know that we have that luxury. So I don't take that for granted at all. And I know some people don't have that option. But you know, for us, it was a priority. I did not want my children to go to public school. And especially, yeah. Okay, I do think though, Judy, after this episode, we probably shouldn't read the reviews for a while, because I'm pretty (laughs) sure we effectively polarized literally everybody for some reason or another. So maybe in a few more months, we'll do reviews and answer questions again, but I'm not going to read them for a while. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> literally, we talked about religion, politics, like everything you shouldn't be talking about. All the trends. We like bashed on all the current carnivore trends. We uh, talked, yeah, all the things. Just- I know, but that's the whole thing about this podcast. Like, I, I'm so happy to go off today because I guess I'm just in one of those moods. It's fired but- up Judy. We literally created this podcast, not for money. It's honestly takes a lot of time out of our hands. And we've had lots of discussions about how do we best support this community? And we are just genuinely being 100% us and giving the tools that we would have needed to be successful. And we are just being really honest. And there's not and sure, you may not agree with our opinion. And that's normal, because we're all different people. And there's things that Laura and I don't always agree with. We just felt that there needs to be more water cooler discussions or the behind the meeting or after meeting conversations of, well, what do you think about that new trend? Or what do you about yeah. think about this and that? And we can be wrong, but at least we're opening up a place of discussion that's safe that people can then decide. So should I be tracking ketones or not? But at least we have a bigger discussion to discuss 
is that right for me in my carnivore journey? And I don't think there's enough of that discussion and more of the follow my way because my way is the right way. And it's just carnivore. There's no one, one approach. There's no one way. And we just hope that this podcast provides people. Well, let me just think of this logically. But even let's, let me just listen to other people's opinions and the same thing. You could completely disagree with everything we just said about schools or religion or, you know, all of the things that we said, (laughs) but at least like we're, there doesn't have to be this like, you know, cancel of everything because we disagree with what somebody is saying. Like we have to be able to have these types of open nuanced conversations Um, and not everything it does like what I do with communion is not what may be right for this woman who shared, like she wants to partake in the elements. I, you know, like there's just, there's so many different nuances and I think it's such an important thing for people. And I think that's the number one thing that's missing in society in general and why it's so divisive right now is because people are not able to have conversations without escalating into canceling or yelling or just shutting down the conversation completely. We've turned into like Twitter culture where everything has to be these, like, how can I get retweeted and clicked? And you know, it's like, how can I get more likes? And you have to say something polarizing or quick to get somebody to watch your reel for more than three seconds. Or even judging. I feel like there's so many of, can you believe that? So like all that FTX drama that's going on, I see all these smaller accounts talking crap about the bigger accounts for, oh my gosh, they shared about FTX. And just for context, FTX was a um, a place that you could trade <laughs> we your We could crypto. talk all day on that one and nobody I here know. knows. <laughs> this is crazy. But a lot of crypto, um, that's where all the funds were being transferred and stuff. And um, it they went bankrupt and a lot of money was lost. And then in that, now there's political things going on where people are blaming other parties. And then even on YouTube, there's smaller accounts that are going after bigger accounts saying, oh my gosh, this company. Or- well, somebody filed a lawsuit today against like um, Tom Brady and so a bunch of other go. big celebrities because they had advocated and did um, sponsor, like they did ads for FTX and now they're getting sued. What I really hope with this podcast is that even if you don't agree with us, and that's normal. I mean, literally, Laura and I don't agree on everything. And and that's okay. I mean, this is where we can think and we can push ourselves to be different. I mean, I used to only advocate for grass-finished meats because I thought that is truly the superb option. And as Laura has challenged me and then even my clients, I realized no, actually, you can heal even with grain finished meats. And I see it time and time again with my clients. If you are sensitive to grain finished, I would challenge that you have a root cause issue. And I'm a firm believer in that now. And but if I never talked with Laura, and I was like, Oh, she's just a grain finished person, like cancel her, I would never learn and grow and challenge. And this is how we improve this diet. We, we learn from other people. I mean, even if you don't agree with us, if we can just make you think twice about hmm, is it important for me to check my ketones or blood sugar? Like what is it doing in my life? And just even having that 30 second thought for you, that is the whole purpose of this podcast. It's to just give you the freedom back that you are the best driver for your own carnivore diet or keto diet, or even if you become a repeater, it's just whatever you find that you decided on your own that that is the best decision for you. And all we're doing on this platform is to give you that opening to have that discussion and have those thoughts in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, 
Ooh, it's a good day, Judy. <laughs> we didn't have a problem filling an hour on that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to try to get a few more uh, episodes recorded and filmed or before I have surgery. So then we'll update you guys on that when it's over. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>